the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Mark. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. You know, every once in a while, open up the Bible once in a while. It's, if I just have some casual contact, if I just kind of brush up against Jesus, that'll be good enough. That's not good enough. We have to be intentionally pursuing Him with a passion. We have to be about just running after Him to lay hold of Jesus. The difference between this woman and everybody else in the crowd was that the crowd was just simply making casual contact. This woman was intentionally pursuing Jesus. And there's a big difference. How are you seeking Jesus? Is it with the level of desperation that the woman with the issue of blood did? Willing to break with societal and cultural norms in order to receive his touch? Or are you more like the rest of the crowd, simply enjoying the emotional and spiritual pickup you get from his teaching? In today's message, Pastor Gary will challenge us to examine our own hearts and see the desperate way we need the touch of Jesus. He wants us to seek after Him with everything in us. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Mark, chapter 5, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. It says in verse 21 that when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, and Luke is very specific in his gospel, he says that they returned. So we're back at Capernaum. It says a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Now I'm going to read down through the end of this section, down through the end of the chapter, because there are two stories that converge here, and both are stories related to healing. One here is Jairus' daughter, and in a moment we're going to be introduced to a woman in the scene as well. Because as Jesus returns here to Capernaum, there's this large crowd that is pressing in against Jesus, and in the midst of this crowd is this unnamed woman, in addition to Jairus, who approaches Jesus. And so as the story continues here... So Jesus went with him, verse 24, and a large crowd followed. Doesn't say how many, but it's a large crowd. They followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. 
Immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. So here we have this story. Jesus finishes ministry on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. He returns to Capernaum, which is his home base for three, three and a half years of his public ministry. And he's met by a large crowd. He steps off of the boat and he's met by this large crowd of people that are actually physically pressing into him. If you've ever kind of been, you know, at a busy time of metro, riding metro into D.C., or you've been to a ball game and, you know, you're going through, you know, like you're herded like cattle, cattle through the gates and you're like, you know, pressed in against people. That's the scene here. That Jesus is being pressed in by people. They, they, they want a piece of him. I mean, in, in a good way, they just, he's back. He is the healer. He is, he is uh, the one who's going to meet all their needs. Now, how many of them quite know that he's Messiah? It's, it's unknown at this point. Uh, but they certainly see Jesus as someone who's going to do for them what they need. And, uh, Amongst all of the people here are pressing in against Jesus is this synagogue ruler by the name of Jairus. Now, a synagogue ruler is basically a church administrator. So this guy had a, a leadership role in the local synagogue there at Capernaum. Uh, he was some kind of an administrator who helped to uh, just make sure that the church, the synagogue, functioned properly, took care of things administratively. And he comes here, the Bible says, and he falls at Jesus' feet. Now, as you look at these two stories together, there's actually some interesting comparisons, and I just have thrown up a, a, a few bullet points here to, to, uh, to note about these two stories. Both Jairus and the woman, the Bible says, fell at Jesus' feet. Both of them do. Uh, Jairus, before his request, he's falling at Jesus' feet in honor of Jesus. The woman, after she's kind of exposed here, she will also fall at Jesus' feet in honor of Jesus. Both uh, Jairus' daughter and the woman had 12 years in common. Now, it says that the woman had an issue of, this was obviously a female problem. She'd been bleeding for 12 years. And it says, parenthetically, that the girl, Jairus' daughter, was 12 years old. I don't personally think that we should make too much of it. I'm just pointing it out. 
A lot of people can look at every nuance of things and try to read too much into Scripture, and sometimes not enough. Uh, But I think this is one of these cases where I'm not sure that too much can be read into this. I know when you study numbers in the Bible, there are certain numbers that mean different things, for sure. There's 12 disciples. Six is the number for man. Seven is the number for perfection or completion. Uh, So there are different numbers that mean different things. Uh, But in this case, not quite sure you can... You can make the case, although the comparison is there. Uh, you also note that both needed physical healing. Uh, the girl is, is going to die uh, during the time that Jesus is uh, ministering to the woman. But at first, both of them are simply sick and needed healing. In the end, the girl's going to be uh, raised from the dead. And both were healed by contact with Jesus. Now, the woman reaches out for Jesus. She has contact with Jesus. Jesus... When he goes to the home of Jairus, he takes the little girl by the hand. Not every healing that Jesus performed was by physical touch. There were times where Jesus just simply spoke the word and someone was healed. So it isn't a formula here. I'm just pointing out that both the woman and the girl were healed uh, by contact with Jesus. Now, the scene here is this pressing throng of people here against Jesus And when we see here this story of Jairus coming and pleading with Jesus, my little girl is is sick, she's gravely ill, and she's dying, and he he begs Jesus, will you please come with me to my house? But as Jesus is going on his way, Jesus obliges, as he's going on his way, this interesting thing happens here, This, this woman wants to remain anonymous, and she reaches out and she touches the hem of Jesus' garment. And, and it might very well be the talits. The talits were the, the, the tassels that hung around uh, um, a Jewish man's garment that were reminders to pray. And it could have been her just exercise of faith and connection with kind of that point of prayer and just, and just in her heart believing that, that Jesus is going to be the one that heals her. Now, a little bit about this woman, because as we see her life briefly summarized here in this story, she was, in fact, a subject to bleeding for 12 years. So she has this condition here. It tells us that she had sought many doctors. It is even specific to say that she had spent all that she had. She was destitute. She had spent everything on the doctors trying to be helped and to no avail. And, and it says that and she was getting worse. So she also suffered more and more, the text says. She was getting even worse. She wasn't getting better. She'd sought out doctors, spent all the money she had, and was, and was getting worse. But what is probably even uh, more tragic about her situation was the, is the last point here, that she was seen as ceremonially and socially unclean. Because in Leviticus chapter 15, when a woman was on her monthly cycle, she was considered unclean for that duration of her cycle. And there was a whole prescribed ritual cleansing at the end of her, of her monthly cycle that she had to go through. And during that, that time of her cycle, she was considered unclean, which meant... She couldn't go to the synagogue because you can't go in if you're unclean. She could not be touched by her husband if she's married. Now, it doesn't say that in the text per se, but but if you're married, she couldn't be touched by her husband because she's considered unclean. In fact, a woman who was on her monthly cycle, anything she touched or anyone who touched her were considered unclean. If she sat down, the seat was now unclean. You couldn't sit there. 
I mean, there's a a very meticulous list of guidelines uh, for a woman in in this condition. Now, in her case, this is not just her monthly cycle. This is a problem that has lasted for 12 years. So the reason I say that this is probably even more tragic than the physical condition itself is because you have to try to imagine her isolation. She is completely socially and spiritually, in terms of going to the synagogue, isolated. Anything she touch is, touches is unclean and defiled. Anyone who touches her is unclean and defiled. She is completely isolated for 12 long years. If she's married, her husband can't touch her. She can't go to the synagogue. She is, is completely defined and isolated by her condition. So it, it is no wonder why she is kind of secretly approaching Jesus. You know, Jairus has no problem coming to Jesus and falling down at his feet and, say, and, and saying, Jesus, my daughter is sick and she's dying. Can you come, please? Not this woman. This woman doesn't dare expose herself because she's already embarrassed. She's already isolated. She's already being ostracized and treated as unclean in her own culture because of the strict Levitical law. So for 12 long years, she's been emotionally and physically uh, in need of healing. And she sees this moment to exercise faith kind of without anybody knowing except the Lord. And so in her moment of desperation, she reaches out and she just touches the hem of Jesus' garment. Now, Jesus looks around because he instantly, the Bible says, he instantly perceives that power has gone forth from him. And the Greek word for power there in the text is dunamis. It's the same Greek word for the power of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1 and 2. So that dunamis power, we get our English word dynamite, Jesus knows, if you have a King James Bible, it says virtue has flown from him. Power, it's kind of an interesting thing. Her life was pouring out. His life was pouring in. His healing virtue was pouring into this woman, and she was being healed and exercising faith, and she's doing it all kind of anonymously. But Jesus perceives that power has gone forth, and so he stops right here. He stops, the the text tells us, verse 30, realizing at once, realized that power had gone out from him, and he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Now, Jesus is fully God, but he's fully man. There are certain limitations that that Jesus experiences because though he's fully God, he has put himself within the confines of an earthly humanity. So he is still subject to some limitations, although he's fully God. Okay, Whether or not he knows who the woman really is, or he just is simply trying to draw out this, this conversation, is unknown to us. Is it that is it that it has not fully been revealed to him or that he knows, but he's simply wanting to draw out this conversation? Uh, whichever it is, the disciples respond. This is kind of funny. They say to him in verse 31, well, you see the people crowding against you, his disciple answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? Again, you know, go back to when you're being herded like cattle through Metro, when you're going downtown for a ball game, and everybody's pressing up against you. If you were to say, who touched me? Your friends would look at you and be like, what do you mean who touched you? You know, there's, there's 100 people here, and three of them are pickpockets, of course, you know, and they're, and they're all pressing up against you. What do you mean who touched you? 
And, and so the disciples are like, what are you saying, Jesus? You know, all these people are pressing up against you. What do you mean who touched you? But there, there's some truisms in this story that I want you to know with me. And for you note takers, here's the first one. And I think this is an important point. There's a difference between casual contact with Jesus and intentional pursuit of Jesus. There's a big difference between casual contact and intentional pursuit. The, the disciples were thinking that Jesus meant, who just brushed up against me? That's the casual contact. Well, of course, that seems ridiculous for Jesus to ask that. But that's not what he was asking. He wasn't asking who brushed up against me. He was asking who intentionally pursued me. There are a lot of Christians today, or even just churchgoers who think they're Christians, that are content with casual contact with Jesus. If I'm just in proximity, if I just show up on a Sunday or Saturday night, if I just, you know, every once in a while, open up the Bible once in a while, it's, if I just have some casual contact, if I just kind of brush up against Jesus, that'll be good enough. That's not good enough. We have to be intentionally pursuing him with a passion. We have to be about just running after him to lay hold of Jesus. The difference between this woman and everybody else in the crowd was that the crowd was just simply making casual contact. This woman was intentionally pursuing Jesus. And there's a big difference. Jesus says, who touched me? I perceive that power has gone forth from me. His disciples said, everybody's been touching you. What do you mean? But verse 32, but he kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear. You can imagine she's trembling with fear because she has just touched him. And according to the law, she's just defiled him. Of course, you can't defile Jesus. But she's probably thinking this. She didn't want him to know that she had touched him because she just wanted to be healed, believing if she touched him, she would be healed. But now she's going to be exposed and she comes trembling with fear. And she told the whole truth. She just spills the whole thing out. Well, I've been going to doctors. I have this bleeding condition. I've given all my life savings. They haven't been able to heal me. And so but just I was just trying to be healed. And I'm sorry, I just kind of reached. You know, I can imagine this whole scene here with her just kind of probably feeling embarrassed and bad, like she's done something wrong, but she hasn't. And Jesus says to her, daughter, just a very affectionate term, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And freed she was. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And she experienced, again, not only physical healing, she experienced some emotional healing and some total healing spiritually and everything because now she's no longer isolated. The house she knew instantly, you know, maybe pain stopped or whatever, but she just knew that she was healed. And uh, Jesus, in response, tells her that your faith is healed. You go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now, all the while... Jairus is standing there, remember. Don't forget Jairus, okay? He comes up to Jesus first. Now, how would you feel if you were Jairus? Be honest. Your daughter is dying at home. Don't be be super spiritual with me, okay? (laughs) You'd be standing in the crowd, and you'd be thinking to yourself, I was here first. Hello, dear woman, I don't know who you are or what you need, but my daughter is dying. You are taking Jesus away from my need. Now, there's no mention of this, but I'm just, I'm wondering, maybe Jairus is more spiritual than I am. I'd be sitting there going, I'm sure this woman is important, but my daughter's more important. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, come on. (laughs) Come on. And, And yet, in the beauty of this moment, what I love about Jesus is he's never hurried. He's never rushed. He's never frantic. And he, and he never sees 
quote things as interruptions. This, this woman is not an interruption. This is an appointment. And Jesus is sensitive to that. This is an appointment. I'm just going to tarry right here and minister to this woman until such time that it's time to move on. And how many times, looking at our own lives, a little introspection here, do we get tied to this sense of, I have to do this, and I have to do that, and I, and I must be here, and I must be there, and I, and I got the schedule going, and my phone's beeping at me, and I got to... And sometimes we miss those divine appointments because we're rushing to the next thing that has to be done, and I'm constantly challenged by a story like this to just make, especially as a pastor ministry, especially just always try to be sent. But this goes for anybody. Always try to be sensitive to what is that still small voice of the Lord saying is, is the necessary thing right now? Because even though none of us wants to get this careless attitude about, well, I'll just show up late at the next appointment because, you know, I'm on a God assignment. You know, don't start doing that, okay? You know, sorry I'm late, but I'm always on God assignments. You know, don't be taking things to a weird extreme. But I'm saying every once in a while, we may need to be interrupted because there's more of a divine appointment and we just can't be so bent on the next thing and the next thing and the next moment. We have to just stop and sometimes be sensitive. Is this, does the Lord want me to stop right now and and minister to this person, help this person? What does God want me to do? And just kind of always be tuned in to how the Lord wants to interrupt our schedule because he has something more of a divine appointment for us to be involved with. And, and so I love this about Jesus. Just not hurried, just always on this divine schedule, sensitive to the will of the Father. But Jairus is, is here. And uh, as, as you think about just a truism related to this, that it, is that God's delay is not his denial. The Lord was delayed in getting to Jairus. It wasn't a denial of of Jairus' need. Sometimes when we feel like the Lord is not doing what we want when we want him to do it, don't interpret that as the Lord is rejecting you or he's denying your request. God is always doing what he wills in his perfect timing, and our challenge is always going to be in aligning our sense of timing with the timing of the Lord. It's always going to be a challenge. And God is always on time. He's never early and he's never late. He's always on time. For Jairus, this is even going to be a more spectacular miracle than he was prepared for. He was hoping Jesus would just come and heal her before she, before she died. And, and Jesus is going to do something even more amazing than that. So God's delay is not his denial. And as, and as you see uh, what Jesus says here, verse 35, it says, While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? You know, what a bunch of encouraging guys they are. You know, just like, well, your daughter's dead. Might as well move along. Jesus got other things to do. But ignoring what they said... Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. It's another truism. Faith and fear, fear and faith are incompatible. And for all of us who have experienced uh, fears over different things and we want to exercise faith, you know, sometimes the biggest, the biggest challenge is to deal with the fear before we can even really exercise the faith uh, because the two are incompatible. And, uh, and, and sometimes there's... The only thing you can really do to deal with the fear is just a lot of prayer and fasting and just really try to get in the word and rein in the fear uh, so that you can really trust more because fear together, it's not fear and faith. It's it's either going to be fear or faith. 
and they are incompatible to exist together. Perfect love drives out fear, the Bible says. So I interpret that to mean the more I get Jesus, the more I get into his word and the perfect love of the Lord, the more I get more of him than the less fear I have. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary has been walking us through the book of Mark. More than the other gospel books, Mark seems to have been written in a way that communicates the fast-paced course of Jesus' ministry, helping us realize it was only for a short time. While the book of Matthew focused on proving Jesus as king, Mark focused on Jesus as a servant. Jesus repeatedly displayed his servant's heart through the various miracles he performed, caring for others above himself. Jesus' example of a servant is something that we should be humbled by and should follow in his footsteps by serving others. We'd like to take a step in that direction by serving you in some way. Can we be praying for you? We'd love to know what's on our listeners' hearts. If you're willing to share with us, our email address is prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd love to meet you, too. Come join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg. We're meeting in person as well as online, and you can find all the information you need on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, you'll find additional teachings from this series in Mark and other series. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in to hear Pastor Gary on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know